0: Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. All right, so today's episode, um, one of my favorite of all time. And I've been looking for a, a player to come on here, give us a player perspective. And as so many, of you, so many of you know, we've the talent pool in Wisconsin has been incredible, especially in recent years. You know, the guys that are currently in professional baseball, guys that have retired, since retired. We're going to have guys that are going to be in professional baseball in the future. And I've been looking for a way to get a, a player on. So I turned to one of my former players. Uh, his name's Luke Fox. Uh, Luke is a 2020 grad of Catholic Memorial High School, uh, was just at Duke University, and then this past July uh, was drafted in the 17th round by the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, um, like I said, such a unique episode, an opportunity to sit down and talk with him. As I, you know, we relive some of his journey and, you know, a little trip back to the glory days. So we, we tried to keep it short, but you know, that's a tie that binds us. And there's so many things that stand out to me about this episode is like his, his maturity, his makeup, his, is, is off the charts. I mean, you know, every once in a while in your program, you get a kid that, you know, you look at him and you think, wow, like, this is a kid you never want to graduate. In, in some programs, you get more than others, right? And when it came with Luke, like everybody that had an interaction with him had positive things to say about the kid. I mean, you couldn't find a negative thing to say an elite level student, an elite athlete, a multi-sport athlete, humble, hardworking like every, checked every box you could ever want, right? The kid you're like, man, I hope my son grows up to be like him. That's the kid I want to marry my daughter. And, you know, for him to come on this show to sit, take an hour plus for us um, was really cool. And it's a memory I'll have. And we've had so many memories together. And, you know, as we relive some of those and talk about his player perspective, he goes through his recruiting process, which again, I was just his high school coach. I mean, I'm taking calls from universities. I've, you know, guys you watch on TV and they're talking about his ACT and, you know, full academic scholarships and baseball. And like, it was it was such a cool moment, um, selfishly for me. And I've, had a, I've been lucky enough to have a couple of those moments with other players as well. And to watch him go through this and his family and this recruiting process, and then um, while he was at Duke, um, got injured. Tommy John, the rehab process—what you know, how how to deal with that. He's going to talk about that that injury, uh, that rehab process, being away from the game for the first time really in his life. Uh, the draft—you know, the kind of the master's degree I guess you get in baseball when you go play at the collegiate level, especially in the ACC Power Five weekend starter. Um, yeah, I just love this episode, and I'm so proud of the guy, and he's now taking this next chapter um, into his, uh, his professional baseball career, and you're going to hear some of that in this episode. Now that spring training's about to start, pitchers and catchers report at the big league level, minor leagues, major leagues, if you're looking for a kid from Wisconsin to track and follow, Luke Fox, Los Angeles Dodgers, um, again, such an easy kid to root for. So hope you enjoy the next hour or so on here. A huge shout out to Luke for jumping on here with us um, right before he had to report uh, to Arizona. And without further ado, um, Los Angeles Dodgers minor leaguer, Luke Fox. Hey, Luke, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? All right, I'm doing great, buddy. Hey, thanks for taking the time. Let's get started here. Let's just walk us through your journey in baseball. You know, that that little boy playing t-ball, where did you grow up? Kind of to walk us through your baseball journey of where you started and where you are today.
1: Yeah, so it all started really in my backyard here in Waukesha um, with my dad and my brother, really, from as long as I can remember. You know, we're just throwing the soft baseballs around in the backyard, hitting them off the house. That's really where it started. And I think my dad really instilled that a love for the game in me early, one that he got from his dad. And it's just something that I've never stopped doing ever since, and I've loved it ever since
0: then so you know eventually it's time to play organized baseball Mm -hmm. you know you're 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 trying to figure that out as a family and you know um what's next you know when does that love for the game turn into more competitions and get a little more serious for you
1: yeah i i know travel baseball is something of a new phenomenon i guess all all things considered but i really I was a little unique with guys in my grade in that I tried to play with my grade school friends as long as possible um, and so I stayed in a state league team all the way through my thirteen u season and that's when already there were a couple of years of guys who had already done like the travel circuits and they were starting to think about recruiting, which I had no idea what that is at that point, but um I started subbing in on weekends for Sticks Academy um, for a team that my brother already played for. And so had put me in touch with the guys at my age group and I had a blast and the guys from my grade school were already starting to, you know, maybe even trickle out of the game a little bit, not really feeling it anymore. And so I went over for my, when I was 14, I went over to Sticks Academy full time and had my first full travel ball season. And, Having that much baseball was awesome at that point. But that's when it really turned into, uh, you know, like, okay, like this is a real time commitment here. Because as those years progressed, sometimes it's a leave on Tuesday, get back on Sunday for tournaments all summer. And, you know, my friends are, where are you? We're not seeing you at all. And then you get into high school and Coach Young wants you at those summer workouts.
0: And it's, you really got to decide how committed you are to the game. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you enter high school. That's where, you know, you you and I get to work together for, for a few years. And <laughs> Exactly. Um, and and I think about, you know, the the, the pressures on kids like yourself, multi-sport athletes, um, stars in all of them. And I know you're not going to agree that you were a star, but you are. Um, but the biggest thing, I think, is having to let the adult down, right? You, you can't be two places at once. And you mentioned, you know, you played football for Hall of Fame you know, the Hall of Fame football coach, Bill Young, um, at Memorial, played basketball, obviously played baseball. How did you navigate those waters of of these are men you respected? These are people that you worked with. There was obviously a financial commitment. There's a lot of things, but you got to make the decision of where you're going to be. So maybe take us back to some of those that decision-making process.
1: Sure. And... <laughs> I can't really say that it was too difficult of a process for me. I was very blessed and I'm eternally grateful to guys like you and coach who were so open to me doing all these different things. And at a school like Catholic Memorial, where we don't have a ton of kids, it was part of the culture to play different sports. And I think I really just got to dive in. And I remember different times like... I think I showed up to a game late because I was long jumping at sectionals or something crazy like that, something I didn't think that I'd ever be doing. But I, you you were so open to that in that situation. And all the coaches were, whether the track coaches knew I had games and baseball practices were my priority. So I wasn't showing up to track practices as often as maybe I would have liked to, or they would have liked me to. But you all made it so easy for me that I really just got to, enjoy what I was doing and
0: try all sorts of different things. And so I, I really am grateful for that process. Well, and I think one thing that people struggle with um, is, you know, we, everyone wants to say they promote multi-sport athletes until it's time to actually make concessions in, in your schedule. Um, but you were able to do it again, four sports down to three sports, um, you know, all state player in two sports like and mm-hmm. in, in My question for you is like that multi-sport experience, you know, in my, this would be my 21st year coaching high school baseball. I feel like there's more and more single sport athletes. Um, You were a testament to a guy who throughout his high school experience wanted to do it all. So let's stay there for a while. Like the value Mm -hmm. of a multi-sport experience from the athlete perspective.
1: Yeah, this is something I feel like I could go on and on about and like I die on this hill that the multi sport experience was so valuable to my development as an athlete for so many reasons. First off, it was the high school sports, all the different sports, all the different games i mean those were some of the most that 's some of the most fun i 've ever had in my entire life. Some of those experiences I look back upon so fondly, i mean even the our four-hour freezing cold Saturday morning practices where we're hitting on the football field after rolling the turtle all the way out from the side field. We're carrying mounds down from the gym where, like, as as a kid, you're like, oh, my gosh, what's Coach Gottsler doing to us? This is the worst. But, you know, then all of a sudden, Cisco and I are running around snagging fly balls, and the speakers going and we're all having a great time. And now I look back and it's like, this is the best. And I have those same experiences with football and basketball and track with different guys and different times. And I think not doing those things is missing out on those experiences, but it's also, you're not giving yourself a chance to compete at different things you're around where, yeah, you can get in the cage and you can hit a lot. You can work on your swing and that works for some people and that's great. But getting to go out and, you know, play in a state championship football game, that that sort of pressure and with guys all around you, you got to rely on each other. It was, an, it's an unbelievable experience. And I think that it allowed me to just be an athlete in general and be athletic. And that really helped me in baseball because you can go back to baseball and you all of a sudden your body just knows what to do you can self organize so much easier and also at the same time with the competition and all these different seasons you're not worried about this one thing it's people i think a lot of people can get tunnel vision where it's life or death here whether you know i make this play or i hit well in this one game And it can provide you with the perspective like there's a lot more to this than just one thing. Um, And it gives you a chance to be a kid. I mean, high school, a lot of times, you know, you try to grow up really fast, especially at that age. You want to be older. You want to look older. Ben Cryle's walking out there with a full beard and everybody's jealous. Like, you know, you're still a kid. You're 14 years old. You're 15 years old. Enjoy it. It goes fast.
0: So that's... My little piece. And... Oh, and that's what I was hoping for. I was hoping to hear that, that multi-sport perspective because, you know, uh, you had an unbelievable career, had your senior year baseball season cut short like everybody else in that 2020 class. But, you know, when it came time for you to pursue athletics at the next level, at the collegiate level, you know, you had options and you had a lot of options and you had different options of different sports. And so how, how did you know that baseball – was the path you wanted to pursue let's start there and then we'll dig into kind of what you were looking for in the recruiting process yeah i think well when we started and i think
1: maybe one of the first times pbr ever saw me when i threw in that tournament game um as a freshman and all of a sudden i got thrown onto this like rankings list and i was like what's going on here um that's when it really started and it was like okay i think there could be a real future here and at that point you know football hadn't really developed um which was probably would have been my other option if i were to play a college sport and so i think already by sophomore year just the the attention i was getting um it was starting to become clear like okay this is the best option for your future one but it was also something that i really loved doing and I really loved going out there and competing, especially on the mound at the to plate, too, but especially on the mound. And that was something that I was really interested in getting better at as I went. And then football kind of was a dark horse as junior and senior year came along and football recruiting a little later. Um as those, you know, state championships made it a little more interesting where I was like, okay, this is pretty fun. I could see myself doing this too, but again, too as my baseball career kept developing, um it was it was the right fit for me. It was something I had put so much time and effort into and I loved every second of it. And th- there was something about the you know, the like the one-on-one matchup especially between a pitcher and a hitter that drove me to be better because I wanted to beat that guy, and that kept me going, and I wanted to pursue it at the next level with that opportunity
0: available anyway. Well, and what, what we haven't mentioned yet is all the athletic success, football field, state championships, baseball, conference play of the year, all these things that you did, um, your academics never took a back seat, and you know, I, I encounter a lot of kids that say, you know, I got I to gotta put all my eggs in my athletic basket. And if I'm good enough, they'll find me. And what they realize down the road, um, even in the recruiting process, is your academics really set the tone for where you can get in, if they can stack scholarship money, all the things. And sometimes it's too late for guys. You seem to have that attitude from the jump that academics were a high priority. So maybe talk about the role as a student athlete. And, and how you were able to to manage your, your academics at such a high level.
1: Yeah, that started early too. Uh, my parents instilled in me at a very early age that school is very important. And that was never something that was going to take a backseat to sports, um, even as sports seemed to get more and more important. The academics were never going to fall to the wayside. And they made sure of that. And so that was something that I just took pride in as like the competition. I'm very competitive and I turned it into a competition and I didn't like losing in the classroom either. Especially when, you know, you're hearing from coaches, okay, you need this number or on your ACT or this GPA to get in. It, It became very apparent that the coaches can't let academics be a problem when they're recruiting you either. They it's for me, it was trying to think about how I want to word this, but there, they want you there to play baseball. If they have to worry about what you're doing in the classroom, that just gives you, it gives them a reason to pass up on you. And that was another thing where I didn't, I wanted to impress those guys. I wanted to show them, that you're not gonna have to worry about me. I'm gonna take care of my business in the classroom so I can be more prepared to take care of my business out of the classroom on the field. And I think that really helped me through the recruiting process as well. I think it really impressed some coaches and it allowed me to maybe make more baseball scholarship money than I would have made otherwise. Um, And school I think is also really important in that it teaches you how to think. I think Catholic Memorial was a great start in that there are some challenging classes with some great professors who can really help you learn how to think and how to problem solve and think for yourself. And that that applies to everyday life. And now that baseball, there's so much more going on than just what you're doing out on the field. I think learning how to research, learning how to dive through papers and numbers it's helping me learn the game better, and I guess that's a whole other rabbit hole. We can save it now or go into that too, if you like
0: well yeah, I mean well on the recruiting end, and this is you know where I get a small glimpse into into your world is um, it opens up a lot of doors for you and it allows you to prioritize many things in the recruiting process and and, and you wind up at Duke University right so maybe maybe touch a little bit on on that journey to Duke. And, and then we'll kind of get into your three years a little bit. So, so dig into that journey, recruiting wise, what you prioritized, what was important to you and your family and how you landed on Duke.
1: Yeah, of course. And just want to say for sure, you were instrumental in that process. I still remember that conversation um, that we had in those chairs in the back hallway, Capitol Memorial. I, it started for me that sophomore year, um, sophomore fall, after a couple tournaments in um, travel ball, where I think I impressed, and Sean Smith over at Styx had a connection with uh, the Oregon State guy, Oregon State guy Nate Yeske at the time, and he came and watched me throw a pen at Sticks, and they had me for my first like invited visit over at Oregon State that fall, and it was an unbelievable visit. And they offered me all I was there and also made it clear that there wasn't all that much time behind it. Um, but I made a decision there and with my family that I was going to take my time through that process and really figure out what school would be best for me. And as we really talked through all these things, it, it became clear to for me and for them that academics was gonna be a huge part of that as well, because I wasn't going to spend I wasn't going to college just to play baseball that just isn't how i wanted to do it it's not how they wanted me to go about it because a degree is still very important to me and to them and so i, I really drew out that process um, to the point actually where that oregon state offer was rescinded because they didn't have enough space for me anymore and i was okay with that i you know i made my bed i was ready to sleep in it and so The schools kept coming as I kept playing and kept developing. I'm very lucky in that I was able to gain a lot of attention, a lot of different options. And in the end, I brought it down to Michigan and Duke, two very high level academic schools, two schools I really enjoyed seeing. Um, But at the end of the day, Duke was the right move for me just because of, I mean, how prestigious of a university it is. I thought the ACC was a great place to play. North Carolina was a fantastic place to be. And I really enjoyed the time I spent around Coach Pollard, and I want to be a part of something that he was building. And I don't regret it at all. It was an un- it was a great decision and made for an unbelievable experience.
0: Well, that's, that's where I want to, you know, obviously you've, you've made your way past Duke now, which we'll get to, but I do want to spend time yes. in those three years at Duke and all the things that you've learned, the lessons learned, you come in as a freshman, maybe like, did you have any like welcome to big time college baseball moments early on? Um, maybe start there, walk us through some of the lessons learned, experiences you had, you know, as a, as a major Power 5 D1 athlete.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I wish I could, I could show you this guy, but I think. So we're all showing up, we're masked, and COVID made all of this experience very different. Um, obviously, it is what it is, and we were all dealing with that, but the first day I showed up to the field at Coombs, at Jack Coombs Field at Duke, I, I don't know if you've ever seen Chris Crabtree. I just don't know if I can impress upon you like how large he is, how big of a human being he is. And I came up to the field, and I was like, why is this football player? here what's he doing on the baseball field and it's like oh no that's our first baseman Chris Crabtree and I was like okay like it's that was <laughs> I still think about that and I think there's a picture of him somewhere with his mask on showing up to the field but it he was he was massive and so I was like all right like I know that's not always exactly how it plays out in baseball and how big you are is how good you are but I, it's still it shocked me looking at how big he was, and I was like, okay, like this is the real deal. Like these are grown men. There are twenty-two, twenty-three year olds here, and like, gotta go win a job. Like I'm eighteen, just showing up out of high school. Like this is the real deal. Here we go.
0: So you have those welcome to to college baseball <laughs> moments. That the size. Um, one thing I've always known about you: you were never. You're always willing to work. You know, you were never disgruntled by the work obviously trying to manage academics athletics the demands of of college baseball Um, but I have to imagine your work was a little bit different right now you're a full-time baseball player Um, you have elite coaching with elite facilities you know and this is where outside of looking in I felt like you started to take off your curious brain your analytical brain and you've just embraced the coaching you embraced the experience for everything that it was so like Your growth as a ball player, like where did that begin to take off? Now that football was done, basketball, track, you became that one sport athlete, you're on campus, you're at Duke. Like walk us through some of those things that that you felt like you your your baseball acumen just flourished.
1: Yeah, to start, I mean the the first quick change really was the weight room. I came in at I'm pretty sure it was 177 pounds at the first weigh in freshman year and so I really dove into that you know we'd never had when that is the other thing too about being a multi-sport athlete when you're always in season it makes it really hard to train and really fatigue yourself in the weight room because you're always worried about the next game so I finally got a chance to dive into that and do baseball specific workouts and it just strength weight just shot up all of a sudden it was like my, my body was ready for it which was great. And they were ready to work with me on that too. So, I, in pairing the weight room, like the initial, okay, uh, you're a freshman, you're getting in here, let's see what you can do in the weight room. That slowly morphed into, and huge shout out to Coach Perlmutter at Duke for this. I managed to, you know, he was very open to talking with me about mechanically how I moved. And so I started using video of my mechanics up on the field and bringing them down to him and talking about certain movements that we thought i could be better at and how we wanted to attack that in the weight room and so i mean in my first fall there i i went from 177 to like 190 195 pounds in that first fall and all of a sudden i got in in a live game and i'm going from maybe and again covid That buffer from COVID, where we didn't get to play, maybe made things a little different. But I went from being clocked at 89 miles an hour to all of a sudden my first pitches live were 93. And I was like, okay, like this, like, oh, wow, like this is working, but let's double down. And so then the next part that I first got kind of introduced to on the baseball side, and I know we've talked about this as well in depth, is the analytics and coach Dusty Blake, that first fall, unfortunately, left after that first fall to take the job with the Cardinals. Now he's their pitching coach. So he made a great choice for himself, but just kind of scratched the surface on track man and what constant exposure to those numbers can really do for you if you know what to do with them. And so I really took a dive into those analytics and those numbers and what I was doing well and how to advance my stuff and pitch shaping and all those other things like where pitches play well and that helped me attack hitters differently much more pointedly and I think that helped me a lot as well early on
0: that's incredible I mean I, what I what I'm hearing is you got an 18-year-old kid walking on campus, shell-shocked a little bit, and then finds a way to use the resources the program provides to take more ownership over his career because he's now realizing he's competing with 22 to 23-year-olds. He's competing for a spot on the mound, and how can how can I use what the university is providing me to be a guy with a ball in his hand on the mound, um, if it's weight room, if it's analytics and everything else? Um is that sound accurate?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I took a lot of pride. I took great pride in how I went about that process as well.
0: Now, um, most of our audience here is high school coaches and, you know, maybe a couple other guys. Obviously, there's limitations at the high school level, but I don't want to just bypass analytics. I don't want to bypass, you know, the ability to develop with the technology available. So, okay, what, what what's like the lowest hanging fruit? for coaches and in the player development world with young players you know think of that 15 to 18 year old um, like what would be an easy an easy starting point
1: yeah i mean i think throw. well the throwing program for one and how it affects arms i think is a big one that i know we didn't necessarily think about a lot in those high school days where it was guys are just going out and throwing to get warm. I think that's a big one. And I know that's not quite on the analytic side, sorry, but that's just the first thing that popped into my head. But as far as, I think, pit shaping with the TrackMan data, if available, and I know it's obviously hard to get your hands on with whether that's TrackMan or Rapsodo, but I think learning about, one, the tilt or the spin direction and the consistency or inconsistencies that can be there, especially in young arms, as well as the IVB, the induced vertical break and the horizontal break. Those are the main pieces for what makes the shape of the pitch. And I think learning, just seeing what a pitcher can do or might show in any of those numbers can help you one, learn what he's good at what he might be bad at maybe what he needs to work on and two seeing again those inconsistencies can help you cue him better to be more successful moving forward because a lot of times you like we like to think we have track man eyes I heard this from my coach once. we all like to think we have track man eyes and we can see what's happening but a lot of times we don't um, even at the highest level. And so that information can be really important if you can use it well.
0: And that's really helpful because, I mean, as more and more young players are at academies and more and more tech becomes available um, and, and kids and parents have an opportunity to to maybe purchase an upgraded program to get those numbers and to do some pitch shaping and, and, and pitchability, for what, what pairs with what, I think those are important things to talk about because oftentimes, you know, it seems so out of reach, right? That's what they do in the Dodgers. That's what Duke does, of course. But, you know, how can we do that at our level? Um, But I do want to go back to throwing program and throwing progression because, you know, in in Wisconsin, indoors, gym, whatever it may be like, you know, where did you find the most value in a throwing progression? Like, is it you play more long toss did you just spin more more sliders like like what would advice would you give to someone who's designing a throwing program um, you know for their for their players yeah
1: I think the biggest wake-up call for me wasn't even necessarily like a a certain way of going about the throwing program as much as it was just knowing and monitoring what you were doing on a day-to-day I think that kind of even at the higher levels, kids, I mean, and this is, I guess, more of a coaching thing uh, or aimed more at coaches is kids, a lot of times, depending on how they feel on a given day, will want to do it a certain way. If you're not feeling good, they're not going to want to go all the way out to 180 feet because they, they don't feel good. But sometimes there's real value to pushing for adaptation on a long toss day where maybe they don't feel good, but you need to get that sort of you know, training in at that time. So that was the biggest wake up call for me when I first showed up at Duke. Is Coach Blake had a really, really heavy throwing program, maybe even too heavy. I've heard many different things, and there are many different schools of thought when it comes to these throwing programs. So I'm very cautious as to, you know, advising anyone to do it one way or another. But the biggest thing I learned from that fall was from him okay, you don't feel good. We still got to go. You got to push through this because you need. To deal with it now so when we get to your season when we get to the season in the spring you're ready to go and you don't have to go through it then um so i i think maybe not so much throwing in a certain way as much as knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it if you can have an understanding of why you're doing what you're doing i think that can really create a lot of buy-in and it makes a lot more sense to kids when they're doing it on a you know, on a certain day where they don't want to, or maybe they do want to, and they want to throw more, but they need to know why they have to dial back.
0: Yeah, that's that's incredible. Makes a ton of sense. Um, just sticking in the in the college baseball life for a second, right? I I think the format sure. is incredible, sure. right? The the weekend series, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday with a midweek. Um, you know, I I just think about the intensity of a of an ACC weekend, um, and obviously, you, you know, you played in it. And then, you know, you've watched a lot of it. You've been right there uh, in the trenches. Now, when you think about those, those conference matchups, those rivalries, like what are the first few things you think of? UNC?
1: <laughs> Probably. Um, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome now that, you know, we're really getting into it. How, how much of the stuff that Coach Pollard talked to us about really sticks with me. Um, And that's something I think that's good for a lot of coaches to know. I think there are things that you might think are pretty trivial that end up going with guys for a long way. But he always talked to us about nameless gray faces and going out there and playing against our own standard of excellence. And so we strove as a program to not really dive into all the hype and stay away from all the noise and just going out and doing – our jobs and playing to the best of our ability on any given day. And so while we try to do that, I think there's an intensity there that is very real when you know how good some of these teams are, how talented they are, what they've been doing. And you're watching film and you're going through guys and figuring out what they're good at and what they're bad at. I mean, there's a lot of pressure out there, but You know, if you love the game, you love the pressure. And I think those are some of the best moments when there's like, Coach Pollard again, tried to. he called it a true return on investment. When you see the emotion on guys' faces or in their actions when, you know, they succeed on the field. And, you know, like it's a huge strikeout at the end of an inning, guy come off screaming. Like that's the type of return on investment that we all played for. And that really came out in those weekend matchups, and it was just awesome to see and to be a part of.
0: You know, I, I think that's just, like you said, the, what might seem as a trivial coach point, coach line, you know, but if it sticks with the right guy in the right moment, it becomes the right talking point. And, you know, that nameless, faceless mm-hmm. opponent. And, you know, at our level, right, it's the PBR, this guy's committed here, you know, that. but you yeah. take that – to a whole new level is this guy's the Friday night starter. This guy's a first rounder. He was in the Cape, you know, like easier said than done at times. Right. So let's play to our standard and, you know, not get caught up into maybe what he did as previous at bats, but also be not be naive to his hot and cold zones or whatever it may be. Um, So walk us through some of that, like pregame prep at that level. Um, You're yet to throw a pitch for the Dodgers, right? Right. Yet. Okay. So the last pitch yes. you threw was a, was, it was a blue devil, right? So talk us through May, some of those.
1: 2022.
0: Okay. May, 2022. <laughs> and prior to that, talk us through what does that pregame prep look like at that level with those resources, those facilities, that information?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that changed. That was also really interesting as it kind of changed and adapted as we move through things. Um, Like, well, we had different pitching coaches for one throughout those years. So it changed with the pitching coach and their philosophy. But I think the big thing is the access to synergy, um, which is basically a hub for all the video and all the stats on every college team and every pitch that's that's thrown and recorded, as well as true media, which was a new resource that we had that last year with basically every analytical piece you could think of was at your fingertips if you knew how to work it and you knew how to throw in different keys and different shortcuts to find what you needed to find. So on for one, it's kind of on the player to go and learn what you wanna learn during the week. But we always had a scouting report meeting on the Thursday before that weekend series after practice. And then another quicker one with a little more of a hype-up end to it with some hype videos um, the Friday before we started. Um, and really the pitch, our pitching coach, Brady Kirkpatrick, this past year just walked us through the main points that he wanted us to focus on. Because you could – and we've had it we had it another way too in years previously where we really get into the weeds on some of these numbers um, and tendencies on guys. but I mean at the end of the day it's really hard to process and internalize a lot of that information on such short notice and in such quick amounts of time because we still have to you know you have to go back home and be a student that night. I mean, you might have a quiz tomorrow, you might have to study a test or whatever. Um, so it, it's really about it became making the most out of the time we had without overloading and I think coach Kirkpatrick did a great job of that whether that was you know we're looking at where's this if this guy has an extremely high swing rate on first pitch we know how to adapt to that or extremely low we know how he's going to we're going to attack some of these guys especially two strike counts were a big emphasis first or so Oo counts and two strike counts were the big ones that we looked at a lot and then obviously, when you've got some complete studs in a lineup, you've got to be wary of, you know, what they do really well and do your best to do what we do best to make them struggle.
0: Well, and that's that's kind of where I was going to pivot to is when you're in those meetings, you're doing your scouting, like, is it, is it player by player or is it more of, hey, let's focus on what we do well? not as much as what their weakness is, or is it, you find a little bit of a, a marriage between the two? There's
1: definitely both. Yeah, I think it starts more with a player-by-player. Player. We're going to walk through their lineup and tell you what the numbers are, but at the same time, in between the lines, I'm going to say, we match up really well against this, this guy because we do this really well. Or, you know, so-and-so, like Jonathan Santucci, you're starting tomorrow. This is what you do really well against this guy. Stick to it. It'll do, it'll do great. You're great. But at the end of the day, and this was made very clear, we're going to stick to what we do best over attacking what they don't do well, because we'll stick to our guns rather than try and adjust ourselves to them, essentially.
0: Well, that makes a ton of sense, and, and I appreciate you digging in there. Um, you mentioned it earlier, you know, you hadn't thrown a pitch since, since May of 2022, and I know that pains <laughs> you to say that. And uh, that, so, so you, you know, one of the stories of, of your time is, is battling through injury. So maybe quickly walk us through the injury you had, maybe a little bit of that process, but also talk to um, our listeners about dealing with that injury from the athlete perspective and some of the ups and downs yeah. of, of dealing with injury.
1: Yeah, so it's so that May 2022 game, I, I came out with flaring, flaming pain in my elbow, um, and went through a whole process. And initially, got was told that I had a forearm strain, flexor strain, and so I had a PRP shot um, early that June, and basically the whole summer attempted to rehab that and ramp back up. the fall in the hopes that I could, you know, be healthy again and get through the pain. I had pain dealing or through that whole process uh during which I was hoping to really just have the tissue be prepared to accept the stress is what I was told. So I just, you know, put my head down and kept working through it, even though I was still was dealing with a lot of pain. And finally, um first time facing hitters again in a scrimmage through ten pitches. Great results went really well. I threw great, but it hurt. It, it hurt a lot, and to the point where I had to go back in and have another MRI. And this time they looked at it and were like, "Okay, your UCL is gone. Essentially, it's a black hole where it should have been on the MRI." And so, that, you know, that was that, and I had to go in and well went through a process where I'd figure out where I wanted to have surgery, um, and. Luckily enough, got connected with Dr. Alcheck out in New York, um, and he had the full, did the full reconstruction, Tommy John surgery on my elbow, um, and he's a great guy uh, and a great surgeon, so I'm grateful to him, too. Um, but that was, you know, it was tough to go and have that little light of hope, you know, kind of lead me along all the way there and then just have the door slammed shut. That was really tough. Um, and so those first few, those first couple of few months were pretty brutal where I wasn't, I also had the graft taken out of my hamstring. So I was very limited in what I could do with my lower body as well. Um, and not being able to do anything at all for a guy who'd done a lot of stuff all the time was really, really tough for me, but it also really allowed me to dive into some other things i never looked at i mean i learned a lot about how my body moved and the analytics behind my own um, repertoire through the time that i had and what i could look through where it it taught me how you know to be okay with like stillness and really helped me work on my mindfulness because i i couldn't do anything i mean i'm going to practice and i'm just sitting there watching I mean you gotta there's something there's got to be something to learn at that point and that really helped me look a little deeper into some of those things and then moving forward to our season I mean sitting through that and being able to just learn how to be a good teammate and bring energy and be a leader even without being on the field is something that was extremely valuable to me um, especially through such a fun season. <laughs> Where I I know we we talked about it briefly, but I, that was the most fun I've ever had in a baseball season, and I didn't throw a single pitch. And I'm very grateful to the coaches and to the guys for allowing me to really be a part of that because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to at one point.
0: Well, that's that's incredible. Thanks for going into that. I know it's, that's tough things to talk about as an athlete, and you know I, I hear you. I hear the competitor in you saying I I got to kind of win rehab. You know I I got to use this time. Mm-hmm for what it is, Um, you know, I'm, this has happened to my elbow, hamstring here, like, let's, let's find other ways to, to develop myself, and, and then obviously rope the baseball back in, Um, the other piece I'm intrigued on is, um, you know, you start having success as a college player, people start reaching out to you, professional baseball starts poking their nose around, and now what was maybe a foreign concept in recruiting as a high schooler, Now you're having an experience as a college baseball player talking about professional baseball. So how did you navigate those waters? Um, You know, what does that look like for someone in your position as a college athlete, you know, dealing with, with that next level of baseball, professional baseball?
1: Yeah. and Obviously the injury changed that pretty drastically as well. So I'm also lucky enough to have, a great advisor, WME Sports, Tristan Osgood is my guy. Though um, They really helped me navigate this process, but blessing and a curse being hurt allowed me to one, not have to deal with the pressure of performing my draft year, which I've seen take a huge toll on guys pitch to pitch. They feel like it's dollars on the line and that's a huge stressor for some people. But so I didn't have to deal with that. I was, I'd thrown what I'd thrown, and that's what I was going to live with. So I basically got to do a lot of these things on my own terms um, and how I set up. I did a lot of the scout meetings late that fall semester. Um, I'd say early December, did most of them, and did some more that January. But there was no pressure or some sort of time constraint to get those in because, again, I wasn't going to have to worry about um, performing and seeing my status change throughout that season. So uh, honestly, I was able to go, I knocked out those meetings. I had a lot of great meetings that, that winter, and then kind of pushed it to the side and didn't have to worry about it for the rest of that season was able to just dive into school and dive into our team and what was going on during our own season.
0: Thanks for uh, going into that a little bit. And obviously, um, You know, I'm sure I'll hit it in the intro, uh, uh, but, you know, the Dodgers come calling, um, you know, talk about those those moments that maybe the days leading up to the draft, draft day, you know, the things coming through your advisor coming directly to you. I mean, I think some of those like made for TV moments. So so let us inside a little bit there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, again, with the, the being hurt, it was always kind of a toss up. You know where teams saw me because I hadn't thrown in so long. It was kind of a uh, my advisors trying to kind of wiggle information out of certain people um, and figure out where I stand with a lot of these teams. But also in how I addressed my rehab process, I was able to like selectively send certain things to different teams. And in doing so, I was kind of able to create a certain grouping of teams that I wanted to be a part of that I knew would be the best environment for me to finish my rehab. And succeed in and the Dodgers were on the very top of that list and honestly through draft day a little disappointing in that I didn't hear from anyone day one or day two but I did know that just in the position I was in the outlook on day three would be to you know potentially get a call from a team that I'd like and hopefully work for something over slot um and honestly, I mean, I was pretty sold at this point on going back to school. I was like, like it's okay. I set my number pretty high. That's fine. I know I've got leverage because I can go back and t- do my best to dominate college baseball again because I felt like I hadn't taken, missing that year made me feel a lot like I hadn't taken advantage of that in the way that I wanted to. I wanted to go out and, you know, really shove it again. That's what I was feeling. and. So I was like, actually talking to my mom about housing for that fall. I was like, all right, like we got to figure this out. Got to find a place to live. Duke, you're on campus for three out of the four years, so it was going to be my fourth year. Probably find a, a nice apartment off campus and figure out where I was going to do. And we were in the middle of that conversation where I get a call, and it's it sounds like the Dodgers are going to take you next round. And I was like, what? Like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. And so throw the TV on and there you go. There's my name. I I didn't even hear from them. I didn't hear from any of the Dodgers guys. Um, I didn't hear from any of the teams. It, It was wild. And I was like, okay, you know, like now I've got to make this, like, it's the recruiting process all over again. Okay. We've got to figure out what's best. And I'm again, really extremely grateful and lucky enough to have great people around me. And then I was able to reach out to different people and ask on, you know, their opinions and their thoughts. And two of the big conversations I had is one was with Coach Pollard, who was, I mean, I can't speak highly enough about him. He was behind me hundred percent in whatever I decided to do. Um, he had me lay my options out for him so that he... Th- and so that he thought, you know, he could figure out where my head was at and try to make sure that I was in a good place and that I was thinking clearly about the whole thing. And I laid it out for him and he was like, you know, it sounds like you've got a great idea of what your options are. You know, I'm always here for you and I'm behind you a hundred percent. And that was a tough phone call. Um, not as tough as the other one, the second one, but it was still tough, you know, having to talk to him about, you know, leaving. Because it's a guy who gave me this opportunity. Something I'm extremely grateful to, and I feel I owe that guy a lot. And I also basically had a sales call with the Dodgers, but it ended up really just being a fun conversation where some of their player development guys came out, Zoom, um, and hunked uh, out on a Zoom. Will Rhymes and my advisor as well. And they gave me a presentation and they were like, look, this is what we see. Uh, Rob Hill, head of player development guy down there at um, Camelback Ranch, and he is the type of guy you want to run through a brick wall for. He's a fantastic dude. And so he pulls up this slideshow and has got all this stuff on there about with clips on how I move and what they're going to do, starting with like how they do things, how they approach everything basically in player development and who they are as the Dodgers and then used it to individualize what my process would look like. And I was like, Oh, like they, they blew me away. It's like, okay. And we got into conversations about analytics and you know, how, what I thought about the shapes on my, my fastball profile and the slider and he bounced it right back to me and was like giving me ideas and how we'd approach it. And I was, he he kind of sold me on the spot. I'm not gonna lie, and that was a little unnerving because that's not the type of decision I like to make. You know, I very I want to make sure I'm thinking about all these things. But I, I got off that call and I was like, wow. I, I sat back in the same spot and was like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, and so I, you know, I took the next couple of days and really thought about it and talked to my parents. But I, I think I knew that that was the right decision. That I, I mean as tough as it was to forego that last year at Duke. Uh, but I needed to get in the system as soon as possible. I think um, just, you know, with the way age is, especially in professional baseball and how important it is to, you know, be young and still make progress as soon as possible. Um, and I haven't regretted it at all. It's been an unbelievable experience.
0: I, I just love listening to you tell that. I mean, I you come some pretty grown up stuff pretty quick for you, didn't it? and uh oh, yeah yeah the real world comes at you fast <laughs> um so you make this decision, your signed sealed delivered. Like what do you do next? I know eventually you report, like how does that all mm-hmm. how do they onboard you into their system?
1: Yeah, so I actually just in taking the time to make that decision. I showed up about I think 3 days later than everyone else. Um so for the guys who made that decision right away, it was basically uh all right Two days, like I think draft was Tuesday, Wednesday Thursday, or something like that, and they're showing up that they're leaving that Sunday like quick turnaround boom like we're getting you into um, like our orientation week right away and so I showed up I think that Wednesday instead, and like it, it was a quick turnaround like I'm making that call like all right, we're gonna do this and then next day I get a text from ops guy. Here's your flight. Here's all you need to know about where you're staying and what we're doing. Um, be ready to work, be ready to dive into it, come with an open mind. And so flew down there and, you know, it starts with gotta get physical blood work, all those things just to get cleared. Um, but this is when I really started learning right away just how different that Dodger experience is. I showed up and immediately every staff member there knew my name, knew where I was from, knew what I had done. And they were all, they all seemed genuinely happy that I was there. And every single staff member that I met down there was like that. It was unbelievable. And throughout that orientation week, it just like how much fun we had and how much we learned, you can feel there's a lot of pride in, being a Dodger from everybody there. There are all sorts, the nature of professional baseball is staff bounce all over the place, whether you're a strength and conditioning guy or a trainer or whatever. So everyone had been somewhere else and every single person without fail said, this is the best place I've ever been. I don't wanna leave. This is where I wanna be. And I, I'm just so like, I'm. everyone was happy to be there and grateful to be, have the opportunity to be a Dodger. So that, was, that was the first thing I learned right off the bat. It's like the culture here is different. There's something different about this field.
0: That's incredible. I mean, not, not so long ago, I asked you about your kind of welcome to college baseball moment. So you got, you, I know you had a welcome to pro baseball moment. Like, I don't know, talk us through something <laughs> or maybe a couple of experiences you had. It's like, this is happening fast and, and, and I'm here. I'm in this organization.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are a couple things. And obviously, I think that throwing that first pitch is going to be up there, wherever that may be down the road or any live pitch I might throw still. Um, but I mean, after that orientation week, the rehab guys kind of got our group together and we kind of fell into a rhythm. Um, and so we go over to the major league side to do our rehab work. And so we walk in that first day and uh, there's Walker Bueller sitting on the first training table. It's like, Oh oh, wow. I've been watching this guy on TV since I was a kid. Like he's a real person. Here we go. And you know, Dustin Mays on another table. It it was, it was crazy. Um, That was the first one for sure. And then another one, I think that was a big wake up call as well is (laughs) not as much one moment as just kind of learning everybody there is like, been up to a hundred or ninety nine at some point. It's like okay, you know, everybody here is the real deal. This is the real thing. Doesn't matter how they look. Doesn't matter how like what you may think about them or how they talk or what they've been through. It's everybody's legit, and that was pretty cool too.
0: That's that's amazing. I was hoping you had a yeah Walker Bueller type of moment, <laughs> a Freddie Freeman moment, yeah. just. Just like I haven't gotten left. to meet some of those guys yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm uh, sure Shohei will be around in, in, in no time. I mean oh, gosh. I th- well, that place I, is gonna be crazy. I, I just when that came through, I obviously thought about you right away. I'm like, just to think that you two in the same organization from different parts of the planet, it's just it's gotta be just wild to put yourself in that situation. I know you're not at the big leagues, but just to be a dodger like like those guys are has mm-hmm. gotta be pretty special. Um, so just looked at the time I've kept you for a long time. I want to hit a couple more things for you. And I love going through a little bit about your biography. I think there's so many lessons in there from youth to high school, to college, travel ball, some, you know, everything else in between injury and now professional baseball. But one thing that's always impressed, I've been impressed with you about is like your perspective. And I'm going to ask you this from the athlete perspective. Like, um, if you had to give some advice to the high school athlete, who's listening to this. Um, who's still trying to figure out a lot of things about life and you maybe you're only, you know, five years older than this kid. Um, You know what, give us some advice to the high school player.
1: That's a good one. I, I think we've kind of touched on a number of these things just in the things that I value is one, you're playing a game, enjoy it, have fun. You're spending time with, I still, some of my best friends are from high school you get to spend time with these kids that you go to school with outside of school and you get to grind it out together i think understanding that the best part about it isn't going to be you know necessarily the games you won or the home runs you hit it's going to be the time that you spent together will give you like the perspective necessary to really enjoy your time and then all of a sudden you're enjoying your time and you start playing better and that i think those two things are often kept so separate in a kid's mind or like one determines the other i play well i have a good time or you know i, pl- I don't play well i'm not going to have a good time i think enjoying the time that you have with your friends on the field off the field helps the other stuff happen more naturally And that's the biggest thing I've learned, especially going through that season where I was hurt, watching that team come together late and make a run that was never supposed to happen with the talent that we had and the injuries that we had compared to some of the teams we were beating. There's something really, there's something real to that. And it's really hard to talk about and really, you know, put your finger on, but it's real and it's there. And if you can find a way to embrace that, I think it could really, you know, maybe even change your life, change the way you look at the sport and how you view the entire process.
0: Well, that's a great segue into, like, you know, you've, at this point in your athletic career, you've been, you've had a lot of coaches in um, all different types of guys, different sports. You know, you talk about your experience with Coach Pollard and and so many people along the way. But I think one thing that you do so well, and we talked about this before we recorded, is you have a real perspective on what like effective and proper coaching looks like, you know, sometimes as high school coaches, college coaches, you know, we're, we've been out of the game for a while. We don't have that, that athlete mindset at times. Um, We want things to look a certain way. Long story short, like I just want you to give some advice to coaches. Like what, what, what do coaches need to hear from the player perspective that they're not hearing um, that you've learned along the way? and you don't need to give credit to anybody unless you want to. Um, But if if you want to like maybe dive (laughs) into some of the things that like you remember some of the moments, some of the strategies. um, Yeah. Talk us through, like, give us some advice for coaches.
1: I think the biggest and most important thing is trying to understand the group that you're coaching, because I, I think A lot of times what one group needs is so different from another's um, that I think sometimes getting stuck in maybe what you think works best doesn't always work best for the group that you have. And being able to, I know it's so much easier said than done, and I've got so much respect for all coaches who handle this stuff because especially, I mean, at the high school level dealing with 14, 15-year-old kids, like, I'm not jealous. (laughs) not jealous at all. Cause I mean, there are a lot of times where maybe you have to play dad too, and that's really, really difficult. And, but understanding, trying to figure out what environment will help the group flourish as a whole. And sometimes that's helping one kid out here and another kid there and, but trying to get a feel for what makes them tick and what brings them closer together. And I, there's a very fine line sometimes between, I think it's usually thought of as, you know, you're a really hard and tough coach or a really nice coach. And I think trying to find that balance where you're not being so nice that they don't take you seriously or being so tough that they just think you're a jerk and don't wanna listen to you. And I think, Coach, that's something I think you did really well at, at times where, We could trust you and talk to you and you were our friend, but at the same time, like when we needed to be pushed, you were there to push us, whether that's telling us to go sit in the car in the cage or whatever it might be. (laughs) Um, But, and again, obviously easier said than done. And I know those are pretty general, but I think that's the main like overarching idea that can really bring a group to the
0: next level. Well, I appreciate that, and 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 I didn't prompt them for that, guys. I'm just 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 appreciate you, Luke. Um, <laughs> but I remember us having a conversation about you know you as a college baseball player, and as you get to a higher level of you know, just dealing with higher level players, that there's got to be a, like a level of competency for players to let you in. And I have to imagine as you get further in the game, obviously now in pro ball, like um, guys have been coached by so many instructors and, and managers, and they've got a swing guy and a pitching guy. Like, um, Is there a certain level of competence a coach has to have to like win a player over early, or does that change as you move up levels in the game?
1: It's actually, that's a great question. Um, I think to a certain extent, yes, but again, it kind of depends on the guy. Some guys feel very strongly – when they've had so many coaches that they already know all the people that there are to tell them things and so they're not going to let you in no matter what you say but there are times where you know if i've heard this a lot where like you ask a question and they feel like the answer is ridiculous they might tune you out after that because they don't think you know anything so i think there is under i think understanding different schools of thought around, and obviously as like a head coach, a head high school coach, where you don't have a lot of different assistant coaches who are there to help you, where you can kind of spread out the knowledge. It's really hard to cover all those bases, especially now with social media. I'm sure there are a lot of kids who probably think they know everything already. And that's a really hard place to, that's a hard place to be. But yes, I would say so, because at least in my experience, as somebody who is always very curious, I like to ask a lot of questions and I think there are guys that really want to learn and succeed who are going to ask questions. And I think you need to be prepared to answer them or at least, at least if I I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, I'm not sure, but I know a place we can look or I know like these people or this particular, maybe Instagram page or like Twitter feed where I've seen these things before. Like, let's look into it. I want to dive into it with you.
0: And that's something I I think is important for people to hear is, you know, if it's on TikTok, if it's on Instagram, like if the guys are seeing it, players are seeing it, they, they, they want to get better. They think it might be able to help them. They go to their coach, high school club, whoever, and say, hey, coach, what do you think about this? I think that's a a pivotal moment in that relationship because, you know, coach who knows everything is, says no, no, that's 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 all eyewash. that's all nonsense. Versus, you know, you brought it to me with with something like let let's have a deeper conversation about that. Is is that kind of what you're talking about? Is is a little bit of that process of exactly information's yeah. out there? Yeah, definitely. And there's so much of it. And 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 that's I think a piece that. I think all of us struggle with, right? Cause it's, you know, it's some of that ego, like, well, I, you know, Hey, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've been doing this for 40 years. You're just some 15 year old kid. What the heck do you know? Or, you know, more realistically is I learned this at my Academy. I learned this from my instructor. Oh no, we do it this way. And I think bridging that gap, you know, like what's your advice for players and coaches to kind of have the right dialogue to best serve the player. That's probably a pretty heavy question.
1: Yeah, I I think, well, the first thing I thought of, too, is, you know, when you're addressing those questions is a lot of times you got to figure out or not necessarily figure out, but try to keep an open mind about where that may be coming from. Because if it's the kid's dad telling him that and you tell him, like, you're an idiot, that's terrible, don't do that. All of a sudden, he's going to be like, all right, what do I do? Or maybe he's not going to listen to you ever again because his dad knows. And I Like you said, bridging that gap, there's so much information out there now from all these pages that are using baseball to, you know, monetize, monetize baseball through social media. It's really, it's got to be really hard to figure out what they're getting and where they're getting it. And if you can keep that line of dialogue open, so you can just kind of keep a feel on the pulse for where these things are going and where they're picking them up. I think you can kind of help guide them. Hopefully, again, it's social media. I mean, it's crazy. It's just the new age. It's something we've got to deal with. But um, I think communication is always the best. And I know fourteen fourteen year old boys aren't always the best at that. But
0: all right, last question for you. All right, the old uh, Brian K. Sure. Million Dollar Question. And I, I know you're you're far from done with your playing career. So, but I want you to reflect. Like, what do you know now that you wish you knew? you know, 10 years ago? What do you know now you wish you knew five years ago? Um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut the mic off for me and you're just going to roll us into the outro. This is, this is it for you, my man.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: That is a heavy question. I'd say...
1: I wish I knew a lot of the things that I've talked about, honestly. I think a lot of those lessons came a little late and senior year getting cut didn't help that at all. But I think there were times where I got so caught up in what we were doing and maybe why we were losing or why we were winning, especially in high school, that I forgot to sit back and enjoy the moment. And I mean, I'm still close with a lot of those guys. And I, especially my brother, you know, I regret to this day that we didn't get to spend more time together on the field, but I I wish I knew how fast it went. And I know a lot of guys, It's a pretty standard answer, I feel like, but at the same time, like it hurts not being able to go back and do those things together as a a group one more time. You know, we were that was our group and we were never going to be together in the same way on the same field ever again. And I wish I sat back and enjoyed that more through that process Um, as much as I've learned about baseball specifically with, you know, analytics, mechanics, strength, all that stuff it all just kind of pales in comparison to the experiences i've had and how they've changed me as a person and how different people i've met and interacted with have changed the way i look at baseball and how i look at life
0: and there it is huge thank you goes out to luke for taking time out of his busy schedule sit down with us today um you know uh, in spring of 2023 right before the high school season began and um late February. I had a chance to go down and visit Luke. Um, he was a phenomenal tour guide down at Duke. Spent a few days with him, went to Cameron, walked us through a uh, baseball practice, uh, which was really cool to see. If you ever get a chance to just go sit at a, a D1 baseball practice, it'll, it'll blow your mind. Um, anyways, was the first class tour guide as he was rehabbing from his, his Tommy John. And honestly, when I, when I went to go talk to him and see him, it was, you know, getting a master class in analytics in mechanics and all the things he's working on. And I think about guys at that level. They are just such students of their craft. You know, they've, they've made that maturity from youth to high school to now this is my career. And as he talks about, you know, play North Carolina on a, on a Friday series, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday series in the ACC and TV and, and draft picks and um, like, it, it's, it's big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a kid's game. Um, played by college kids, and, and eventually some of these guys go on to play professional baseball. And it's so fun to watch. Um, so thanks for sticking with us in this episode. I know a little bit of a, of a change-up for us, but I really do think that player perspective is something as coaches we often forget. Uh, so when I get a high-level kid like Luke and a high-level thinker like Luke, uh, I just wanted to hit record and let him do his thing. So as always, please subscribe and share. And, man, this is one of those episodes. Send out your players. I mean, I know I'm going to. like. You know, they hear enough from me and you and enough adults in the room. Just let them hear from a player perspective. Uh, it might uh, it might be the, um, the light bulb moment that they need. So, anyways, um, have a good rest of your day, and uh, we'll see you next episode. Thank you.